0: Hey, what's up, y'all? It's Cody Byrne, pastor of Tribes Church, and welcome to our podcast. I wanted to take a moment and just thank you so much for joining us, for taking the time. And hey, I really pray that this time encourages you, inspires you, and challenges you. Enjoy the message. Hey, uh, we are so excited to see you. I wanted just to to share this. Uh, A year ago, it's Father's Day. Yep, a year ago. Nothing special. Uh, about my, my memory, but I remember a year ago, we, uh, we started Tribes Online on uh, Pentecost Sunday, so May 31st, 2020. There, was anybody watching the premiere? I don't expect any of you to. Okay, a few of you. Yeah! Yeah! So we, we launched online. Uh, we kicked our kids out. We said, you're too privileged to have separate rooms. So we put them into a bunk bed, and we turned the other room into like a little studio. Um, and uh, recorded some sermons. I would just preach to, to no one, just in the camera, like, yeah, you know, trying to get fired up. But if you preach and you're trying to do it to a camera by yourself, it's, it's you're trying to hype yourself up. It, it, was, it was a journey. It was a journey. But we, we launched online, and uh, we ended up doing, like, what we call tribe nights, which now we have, like, the full expression of. But we would stream in the morning, and then people would come over in the evening. And, and on Father's Day 2020... Uh, we had one person show up. So if you're on our team, then you remember this. And I just want to simply say this, that, that a year ago, we had one one person. But I remember as a team, we we're like, all right, God, we're going to treat the one like the 100. We're going to treat the one with the same level of respect and integrity, man. We're going to go after what, what God is saying. And so now I look around, I see there's probably about a 100 of you here in the room. And I just, man, I'm just blown away by the faithfulness of God, that even in a year, this is what he would do. So Father's Day 2021, man, it's just the beginning. Welcome. If you are here, we are five months into this journey of physical church. How many of y'all been enjoying just what God's doing in the house so far? Yeah, man, I, I don't know about you guys, but I'm I'm transformed every single week as well. This is a beautiful, beautiful thing the Lord is doing. If you are here for the first time, uh Welcome. Uh, we are so excited to have you. If you're kind of new to this sort of space and you're like, man, what are we singing these songs for? What, what is this all about? We just want to tell you that we believe you're here on purpose. Really believe that, that there is a God. His name is Jesus. He loves you. And uh, I want to tell you a little bit about this God that we serve. And so uh, if you're here and you know Jesus, man, be praying. We're diving in. If you're here you don't know Jesus, man, I'm excited. Either way, God's going to do something great. If you believe it, say amen. 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 Hey, I love being a dad, I just love it. Everyone, I I said this last week, right? Like the wallet, you, you take all all the the dads that have photos in the wall. You just kind of, you know, just a roll of photos. Now it's on the phone, so I just go up to strangers, look how cute my child is. It's like, yeah, wow, pretty great. I'm like, you better believe it. And I love being a dad. It's, it's just, it's the greatest honor. It's a privilege to be a father. And, uh, you know, part of being a dad, it comes with some tensions. All the dads in the room said, I'm still new on this journey. So I'm five years into this whole thing. Pray for me. I got a long way to go. But there, I've learned that there's some tensions to being a father. That not just being a dad, but being in a family, right? It's, it, it, there's some tensions. There's, there's some dynamics. There's some, some conflicts. Well, I was—I was one of four. Like I was. Sorry, I am one of four. Sorry, sisters, you're great. You're watching. You're still alive and beautiful and amazing. I, I, I'm, I'm an only—only only boy. Anybody like the only son or the only daughter? Any—any any other only sons in the building? Okay. So you, no. Okay. Just—just just me. Okay. Well, it hurts. Okay, in the back. Okay, great. Um. You know, we had a lot of tensions, you know, being one of four. We're all pretty, pretty bold, kind of wild characters. So at dinner time, we'd all have to fight just to get a word in. They'd be like, so my day was good. Dad, I, I did this. And then the other sibling would hop in and it just would just be like this crazy thing. So here we are, grown adults, still trying to have a conversation, you know, just the, the middle, the middle child always gets neglected. Let's just be honest, right? And I like to say firstborn, bestborn, you know, so. Being in the family, it's it's got tensions. It's got tensions, and I was talking to my dad, you know, just about the the tensions of being a father. And I just, I don't know if any of you guys wonder this, even mothers. I just, you know, I, I, I clean up, you know, the, the kitchen. For some reason, my children just don't know how to like eat over the table. <laughs> He's five years old. It's just everywhere. So I've just wondered how like how many pounds of food have I thrown in the trash? Like. You know, anybody else who just like, I wonder, like all these deep sort of conundrums. And I was talking to my dad and he said, yeah, man, like, look, I feel you. One day I took you to school and I went to drop you in at the front desk. And the lady at the the desk says, sir, I don't know how to tell you this, but your son graduated from this school two years ago. I was like, "Dad, I told you. We're going to the wrong school." It's 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 an interesting thing being in a family, though. It's an interesting thing, man, the dynamics, the tensions. You know, I don't know your background. I don't know what you've walked through. I don't know what you think of family. But I want to tell you tonight, I want to just talk for a few moments out of, out of God's word. I want to go into this, this story that, that Jesus shares. But I really wanted to start off talking about the, the importance of family. You know, we had mentioned last week, we've been going through this series, if you're just joining us, it's called The Way of Love. And it's all about, man, what is, what is love? I think we live in a world, a society that doesn't really know what love is. So what, what is love? We've been going through, we're in fourth the fourth week now. But lastly, we talked about a friendship, that we were, we were created in relationship and friendship to have this friendship with not just God, but other humans as well. And, you know, part of the family dynamic, it's not something that we just, it's not a, a social construct, y'all. A family is part of our, is part of our fiber, it's part of our makeup, part of our creation, that we were made to be in family. That God created man and woman, Adam and Eve, and said, be fruitful and multiply means enjoy each other and make babies. You know, produce babies. Let's keep the the human species, the, the human race going. Let's create this family, this unity, this bond that goes beyond just a friendship, but it's in your DNA. It's in your blood. There's this kindred spirit. There's this of kind that we share the same blood. It's this family, this family dynamic. We had learned last week that the enemy of our soul, his name's Lucifer, or the devil, the serpent, the deceiver, the accuser, Satan, he is out from the beginning to steal, kill and destroy everything that God has created. So he's just not after your friendships, but he is after the family. God has created, in his created order, the family unit. So the enemy from the beginning of creation has been after the family, after the parents, after the children, to, to get the parents to, to divorce, to get the children to go separate ways. He's always causing strife, division in the family. I don't know if you've noticed this, but I grew up watching Disney movies. It's like, yeah, I know a lot, guys. I watch Disney, you know, come on. But I noticed that in almost like every Disney movie, there's always like a father who's kind of distant, isn't he? Like kind of aloof, like kind of, you know, just dumb and doesn't know and he's not present. Just, yeah, whatever. It's like there's this picture painted and you're like, this is a conspiracy Just track with me. Have Have you ever noticed that perhaps what is being presented to us is an attack against the family? Specifically an attack against the father. Because God has created in his creation order that the father leads his family, that the father protects, the father fights for the family. It doesn't mean, right, God didn't create Adam to stand above Eve. He didn't create Eve to stand above him. He, what did he, the Bible says he put Adam to sleep and took a piece of his rib and made his wife Eve. So not that they could stand above, but they could stand side by side, rib to rib. That they can do this together, but God has created this order that the the, the man, the the father, is to lead, to cover. It's a picture of God in the family. So wouldn't there be an attack against the father? Wouldn't the devil be trying to get after the fathers, to get after the the family, that there is this attack, y'all, attack, attack? I'm not sure what you think about when you hear the word father. I don't know if Father's Day is difficult for you. Maybe your father was distant. Maybe your father did some things. Maybe your father is, is great and present. And yes, maybe he's not perfect, but he loves you. I, I don't know what you think of when it comes to fathering or family. Maybe this is a difficult conversation for you to have. But friends, I really felt led tonight to to really kind of look into this moment that, that God has brought you here on purpose. Whether you believe, whether you're on the fence, whether you're searching, whether you know him, tonight is a significant night. Because Jesus wants to talk about the reality, the example, and the heart of God the Father. That we're going to look in the word of God and we're going to see what this agape love is. That word we've been talking about means the unconditional, the selfless love of God. That no matter what we've experienced physically with our physical dads or father figures or uncles or grandparents, whatever male figure we have or haven't had, there is a heavenly father who is a God of love and of presence and mercy. So I want to dive in to y'all, dive in with y'all to this word tonight. If you're taking notes, here's the title tonight, It Runs in the Family. It Runs in the Family. We're going to be in John, excuse me, not John, Luke chapter 15. If you got your Bibles, you can open that up. If you don't have it, we'll have it for you on the screens. But let's pray before we dive in. Y'all ready? Okay, we're going in. Jesus, thank you for tonight. I thank you for my friends. I thank you for those who have come. I thank you for all the fathers who are watching, Lord, who are here, present in the room. I pray that you will bless them. God, I pray that you would protect them, Lord. I pray that those who are under the sound of my voice, Lord, that we would see what your word has to say, Lord, that we would see you not just as as friend or Savior, but as Father. I pray you would speak, you would move. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone who agrees said? Amen. 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 So when I say the word family, I know we've talked about, right, it's, it's, it's blood. You're born into a family. you got physical siblings, physical parents. There's this biology, this genetics behind it. But I, I want to tell you that even if you don't, if you're in a, even if you're an only child, right, even if you're, you're here, um, and, and, you know, you, your parents are back in the States. I mean, any, anybody else here? You just, oh, my, my family's not here. I have a, I have a few uncles and, and aunties and cousins, but my parents are like 12,000 kilometers away. So it's a long way. Maybe, maybe you, you're here in this space, and maybe your parents are over east, or maybe they're, they're in the States or in some other nation. And I don't know about you, man, but this, this year has been kind of tough, isn't it? hasn 't it been that we can 't even see our families that that I'm, 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 my resort is to spend time on a screen but that's it's kind of like the real thing, right? <laughs> but the family isn't just physical, my friends, according to the word of God as we'll get into it the, the family unit isn't just physical but it's spiritual that because of what God has done because of his great love and forgiveness, he has actually made a way for us to be, the, the Bible says, adopted into the family of God. You know, in the Gospels, Jesus is preaching at some event. It's, it's wild, it's crazy. There's crowds and, and his disciples come and say, hey, Jesus, uh, your mother and brother, so physical, biological family, they're, they're here to see you. Jesus, just no chill, just says, "Uh, Who? My mother and brothers are those who hear and do the word of God. (laughs) What he's pointing to is, yes, biology is important, but also it's it's spirit. If you believe in Jesus, you're my brother. You're my sister. You know, this church was built on a collection of strangers (laughs) who are now family. How about that? That we can journey together. we can be not just physical, but spiritual. So here, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he actually goes, and in John chapter 20, verse 7, it says that he now calls his disciples his brothers. So as we get into the word, I want to just start with this, that the family unit, you have been adopted into the family of God. Because of what Jesus has done on the cross and the resurrection, says this in John 1, he says this in verse 11, All who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So what that means, we're family, y'all. We're family, we're family. No matter what you've experienced, the neglect, uh, perhaps abuse of things, is that there is a, a, a family, and it's God's family. He's invited you in. We get to see the the example, the reality of our Father, who is God. John 15, if you have your Bible, you can see just a a few of the verses. If you got a physical Bible, check this out. If you don't, just just listen. But John 15, there are 32 verses, and we're going to read them all. Yeah, okay. Just kidding. We're not going to read them all. We're going to read about 20, so come on. But Jesus here, he is responding to some accusations that are going against him. So here, John 15, if you see in your Bible, verses 1 through 7, he gives a parable. It's a parable of the lost sheep. Maybe you've heard it, right? A a shepherd, 100 sheep, one goes missing. Does he not leave the 99 and go after the one? Puts it on his shoulders, comes back. We rejoice for we found the one. He's, he's giving a response because here it is, John 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes, they grumbled. Rrr, Jesus. Saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So the baseline of this text, the baseline of these parables, one we're going to dive into, is that Jesus... Is responding to these accusations. Oh, Jesus, he eats with sinners and tax collectors and he welcomes them in. The religious, the morally upright, those who look good on the outside, angry that Jesus would welcome those who are dirty and unclean and unworthy and rude, and angry, and violent, that he, would wo- that he wouldn't just, he'd sit down and eat a meal with them. Oh, Jesus, we're angry with you. <laughs> and Jesus now responds, three parables. He is responding to the Pharisees' heart. And essentially, the Pharisees questioning, the doubting, of the heart behind that which Jesus is following, the heart that Jesus has. So he gives three parables to try and show them, "Hey, this is the heart, this is the heart, this is the heart." He shares the parable of the, the lost sheep. Then he goes on, verses eight through ten, he shares a parable of a lost coin. He says, "Hey, a woman has ten silver coins. If she loses one." Does she not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends Hey, I found my lost coin. I got 10 again. Woo! 10 coins. Let's go. So she says, Just so you, excuse me, Jesus says, verse 10, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So the first parable is one in a hundred. 99, go after the one. Man, we're rejoicing. The one is brought back, the one in 100. Now, the second parable is one in 10. The lost coin, yeah, I'm going to rejoice. Jesus is saying, get the heart, get the heart. This is the Father's heart, that he would rejoice even if one repents, one comes back, that there is joy before the angels. Y'all, translation, there's a party in heaven every time someone gets saved. That there is joy before the angels. Joy before God. One, one person. So he goes from the one in a hundred to one in ten. Now, this is what we're diving in. Verses 11 through 32. It's one and one. One in a hundred, one in ten. Now it's one and one. Jesus shares this parable. And this third one involves a father. So the first one is a shepherd. The sheep, the second is a woman in a coin, now it's a father and his son. Verse 11 says this There was a man, Jesus says, who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Father, give me my inheritance. Father, give, give me what what's coming to me. <laughs> you know, this may just seem pretty basic to us. This may seem pretty, yeah, he just wants his money. Great. But if we were to understand like the severity and the reality of this, this, this uh, request, we would have to look back into this cultural context because this was unprecedented. No son would ever ask for his father's inheritance Due to the request, due to what it would actually mean. (laughs) So, first off, the younger son would never even get the inheritance. It was the older son. So, here we see a father with two sons. The younger comes to him Hey, dad, give me my inheritance. What this means is that the son is essentially saying to his dad Hey, dad, I wish you were dead. Because I want my money, I just want what you can give me. You're, good, you're, you're as good as dead to me, dad. Just give it to me. Just give it to me. And so we're told, right, that the father did as he requested. <laughs> hey, dad, you're as good as dead to me. All right, son, here's, here's the inheritance. What kind of father is this? I've been like, boy, who are you talking to? I'm, I'm stronger than you, yeah, you know? But yet the father says, all right, all right, son. All right, son, here it is. Now we're told, verse 13, not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. Verse 14, and when he spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. Now, this is important because this is a a Jewish man, a Jewish son. Pigs, according to the law, were unclean. So not only is this son now, he's spent his inheritance. Not only did he tell his dad, you're as good as dead to me. Not only was the father still kind and generous toward his son, but now the son has spent everything that his father had given him in wild and reckless living. Now he's at a point where he's turning. Okay, now I think I can still make this work. I think I can still do it. So he goes and he starts to work with things that, No Jew would associate with this, excuse me, unclean animal. Verse 16, and he was longing to be fed. There's a famine. He's hungry. He's longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. He's desperate. He spent it all. He's hungry. He wants to eat the pig food, but no one would even give him that. And so it says in verse 17, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I know I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Now remember, this is a story that Jesus is telling all of these scribes and Pharisees. All of these who are grumbling, Jesus, how could you associate with the, with, the, with the sinner, with the tax collector? How could you do that? And now Jesus is systematically showing these grumblers the Father's heart. So at this point, just imagine in this context This story was wild. This was like a bunch of explicitives, y'all. People like, what? He's with the pigs? Oh Lord, right? They're just freaking out. Like this. This is like, yeah, it's whatever, Cody's with the pigs. But this is a big deal in this time. This was unheard of. This was like, oh my, this was like watching something that you shouldn't be watching, hearing something that you shouldn't be. This was scandalous. This was too much. Imagine the pauses in between, just the the Jews grasping just, oh my, how dare he? How dare he ask his father for the inheritance? What an arrogant, rude, if I would have just got my hand, if I was his dad. But Jesus is showing these people the father's heart. You're as good as dead to me. Here's your inheritance. He goes off, spoils it, Reckless living, famine, running away from his father, running away from his family. But yet, my friends, we see this. This is where it all changes. says, I will arise and go to my father. I have sinned. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as your servant. Verse 20, and he rose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him when he was a long way off, his father saw him. You know, this is a very powerful, powerful moment because for the father to see him afar off meant that the father must have been looking for his son. To see him over the distance, the father must have been waiting there for his son. One day he'll, he'll come back. My boy... He'll be back, almost like waiting at night with the porch light on, just just in case, just the front door's open, man, I'm waiting, I'm I'm waiting for my boy to come home. I don't know about you, but this hits me deep, because that was me, and my parents would just wait, just waiting afar off. Would he come home? Would he come home? You know what this tells me, my friend? You know, 1 Corinthians 13, we've been talking about this, that love is patient, love is kind, right? Love does not boast. It is not envy. It is not self-seeking. It does not seek its own interests. It, 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 It keeps no record of wrongs. It doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love endures all things, believes all things, hopes all things. Love never ends. For the father to be there waiting for his son shows us, my friends, that the father's love is patient. You know, that word patience, it it means long suffering. It means I'm going to suffer long. Then I'm going to wait here and, and suffer, even if it lasts a while because I'm waiting for that return. That what will one day come is far greater than the pain that I'm facing waiting. That that moment of embrace is far sweeter than the sting of this suffering that I am presently facing. That it is long suffering, that it is patient. That no matter how long it takes, I will wait. So friends, you need to know that the father in this story is Jesus is showing us, it means that the, the, the Father's love is present. That it is unending, that it, it is not ceasing, it is present, it is constant. You know, when I was a kid, I, I really wanted to, to be a pirate. I think part of it was just like the adventure, the pirate patch, when I met Chantel. It wasn't the first time, but the second or third time I had a pirate patch on. It's a 20-year-old young man, just arr. <laughs> but I had a pirate patch on. But I've always had this fascination with, like, the ocean. I've always loved, like, when we moved here, I would pray. Like, true story, I'd pray, God, I just would love a friend who has a boat. I would just love to go out on a boat and just, like, have fun. And then I get a text. I like, kid you not, the next morning, from a mate. He's like, "Hey man, we got a boat. You want to come out?" I'm like, "Yo, you see me?" But it's interesting. Uh, part of being a, a church planner is uh, I have a mobile office, which means I just sit in my car. <laughs> I got the, the the Holy Spirit in my hotspot. Come on, somebody, you know. I use all my data, but it's all good. But uh, part of my love for boats means I love the water. I just, I'm drawn to it. So I, I tend to kind of drive around different places, and I just park my car, and I just look at the ocean and just ponder. You're like, that's so weird. And say, I know, I know. But I love it. And uh, I was parked down by the, uh, the Swan River, and I, I was looking out, and there's, like, this beautiful boatyard. And all of a sudden, I kind of hear, like, this trickling of water. And I'm thinking, like, man, but that's, what is that? Like, you know, my, my spider senses are tingling. It's a boat. It's water. Wow. So I look over, and there's, like, water coming out of this boat, out of the, the front. And if you're, like, a, a, a nautical, um, uh, you know, uh, connoisseur, then you would probably know. Um, as I, I Googled this. So this is, I could have flexed and be like, yeah, you know, my great um, knowledge of boats. Um, so uh, this is the bilge pump. And, um, you know... The, So apparently water gets in the boat. There's this pump and it pumps water out and, you know, it's water coming out. So I'm I'm just curious. And now I'm I'm starting to see now there's this man who he's out of all of these boats. There's just this one man and he's tending to this boat. So he's, you know, kind of cleaning it. He's he's doing whatever boat people do. I don't know. I don't have a boat, (laughs) but I'm learning one day I might get a boat. Now a bilge pump. Come on. yo. Yes, Lord, I hold on, I'm getting a word. Okay, um, all right, let's just pray, guys. Raise your hands right there. But I was looking at this man tend to this boat, and I was doing some research, and I, I come to find out that uh, two-thirds, more than two-thirds of boats, they sink at the dock. This is strange, right? Like, Why? Like, don't, when you think lightning would strike it or a shark would just chomp it in half. And, you know, we think, but only like about 35% of boats sinking is due to something out of the owner's hands. So I was reading that over two-thirds of boats sink when they're docked. And it comes to find out that this is because, the main reason that boats sink when they're docked is because of owner Neglect. Because the owner just thinks, oh, it's tied up. It's great. It's a boat. It won't sink. But over time, water gets in. They're not, they're not turning on the bilge pump, y'all. And they come, and now their boat's sunken. It's, 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 it's down. The, the reason that these boats are sinking is because the owner has left it. The owner has neglected it. The owner is not present in the life of it. Now, I don't know if you feel like, man, maybe your your physical father maybe abandoned you. Maybe you feel like, man, no one's present. I feel neglected. You know, I feel like people have walked out on me or maybe even that father figure, that that person who has not been present in my life. Friend, I just want to encourage you that Jesus is talking about a father who never leaves, a father who is always present, a father that is long-suffering, a father that is there waiting, waiting, tending, waiting, wanting to to come in. Man, there's leaks. Let's work on it. There's things, man. Let let me come in. Let me take care. Let me provide some maintenance. I'm present. I care. I don't want you to sink. I got to tell you, there's a God in heaven who is present. That he is there. Jesus says, This is a picture. If you haven't caught it, it's a parallel. It's the Father in the parable. It's, it's the Heavenly Father. It's God the Father. That he's standing there, waiting, looking, seeing afar a off, long suffering, patient. When he saw his Father from afar off, it says this when he was a long way off, he saw him and felt compassion. The Father runs. To his son. The father runs to his son. He embraces him and he kisses him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Hey, quickly bring the best robe. Bring a ring for him. Bring kill the fat and calf, y'all. We're gonna party. We're gonna celebrate for my son who was gone has now come home. <laughs> dad, I, I I spoiled all of your money and I I was sleeping with prostitutes and I did all. I'm not worthy to be your son. Just he had this speech, didn't he? All oh, right, man. All right, I'm, I'm at rock bottom. I know what I'm gonna do. My, my dad's got food. My dad will. Maybe make me like a servant. It'll be better off than I am now. So I got this speech. Okay, I need to tell him I I sinned against heaven. That sounds good. I I sinned against you. I'm not worthy to be your son. I just want to be a servant. He has this speech. He sees, he's walking. Imagine the the walk that the son is like, man, I can't believe this. Man, my life is is in the the pits, man. I, I had it so good. And the father's just standing there. And he sees him. And the father just runs. And the son, he's being embraced. He's like, Daddy, I've sinned and I'm not not worthy to be called your son. Before he even gets to mentioning the servant part, the father just says, no, 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 no. I'm not listening. Get the robe and the ring. Set the tables, boys. Tonight we feast. My son is back. My son is back. To really understand how beautiful how even scandalous this moment is, how extreme, how shocking this would be to the grumblers, the audience in that present day. We have to understand, y'all, that men, particularly men of honor in this society, they would not run in public. Aristotle, the great philosopher, says this. He says that great men never run in public. So here we have this father. Let's look at the text. He's got an estate, right? The fact that he says, robe and a ring, kill the fattened calf. This is a a wealthy man. He's he's affluent. He's generous. He's, he does well. He probably has a boat. (laughs) It's probably a big boat. I'm like praying for, I'm like, wait, that was like 2000 years ago. And it's, it's a hypothetical, but it's real. So God, I just want a boat, you know? I really, do I want a boat, Chantel? No, no, I don't want a boat. It will probably sink for sure because I don't have time to take care of it. Okay, I got three kids. But the father then, he's an honorable man. What he does to to run, I want you to catch this. The, The men wear these robes. So the father literally has to pull up his robes to run he's just waddling. He 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 literally pulls up his robes. He's exposing himself. This is a very shameful thing to do. In this society, this was shameful that a man of honor would expose himself publicly and run. It's like the equivalent of a of a, a fluent father going to his child's private school and picking up his son running across the parking lot in his boxer shorts. It's it's a shameful thing this father did, but he would rather have some sort of public shame than to neglect his son. He would rather, the Bible, you know, the, the, the language, gird up his loins. He would rather pull up his robes and run regardless of what people would think because his son was back. His son, the father so loved this son that he would be willing to do this shameful thing to get to the Son. You know, I, I have to tell you, my friends, that this isn't just a metaphor. This is a picture of the shameful death that Jesus Christ went through on the cross, that he would so be exposed Stripped down, that they took his garments and divided them, they cast lots, that the very God of the universe in flesh was too exposed upon a splintery cross. Bearing the public shame because he loved the son. Bearing that shame, that moment, because he was thinking of his child that was afar off. Friend, I gotta tell you, If you haven't noticed yet, Jesus is explaining that there is a father, a father in heaven. And his heart is for the far off. His heart is for the sinner. His heart is for the one who goes and sleeps with prostitutes and and is a tax collector and violent and, and, and jealous and rageful. What on earth? That there would be a God in heaven who loves the far off. That there would be a Father who doesn't just see, but he runs. So here it is, y'all. We say by the blood of Christ into the children, into the family of God, love runs in the family. Love runs in the family that we would, too, run to those in need, that we would, too, run to those who are afar. that we would, too, run, that that this agape, unconditional love that we have so been shown, that we would, too, run, that we would run toward those who are afar off. It runs in the family. It runs in the family. You know, I don't know. Your roots, I don't know what you've been through. I don't know what your family tree looks like. But I want to tell you, my friends, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, we are now grafted into his family tree. That whatever brokenness, whatever piece of branch we have, we are literally grafted in to the family of God. That no matter our background, no matter our roots, no matter what tendencies, no matter what our fathers did, man, my father was an alcoholic. My father was violent. My father was this. His father did this. His father did that. I'm just, I'm just a byproduct, man. Just because he did, I, I'm now in these constraints. Friend, I got to tell you that just because they did it doesn't mean you have to do it. The Bible talks about not necessarily generational curses, but more so generational consequences. That just because your dad was an alcoholic doesn't mean that you too have to be bound by that same thing. You may experience the consequences of that, but Ezekiel 18, 20 talks about how we are accountable for our own actions. So whatever your family tree looks like, you come to Jesus, you are now grafted into his Family tree. Romans eleven seventeen says, but if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but rather the root that supports you. We are grafted into the family that now what is flowing through the roots now flows through us. That this same unconditional agape, Father's heart, love, seeing the far off running toward, I'm generous, even though you wanted to say that I was as good as dead. I'm still kind. I'm still loving. I'm still serving. Even if you run off and hurt, I'm still going to be here with arms wide open. That's the Father's love. We we're grafted, and now it flows through us. Now we're a part of this family. All oh, it runs in the family. It runs in the family. So now the son comes, now there's this big party. It's, it's amazing, man, that they're celebrating, they're celebrating, and I, I, some of us, I think, wish that that would be the end of the story. Yeah, woo, came back, salvation, redemption, this is great. But Jesus goes on to finish the parable, and he mentions now the other son. Now his attention turns from the father, who is constant, the father who is patient, the father who is kind, who is generous, who is merciful, even in the midst of arrogance and pride. Now the son who was arrogant and prideful now recognizes his need. I need my father's love. I need my father's presence. I'm going to go back. Now he's met with this embrace. My father loves me. My son has come back. He's He's back, he's back. Now the other son, the attention is turned. And we're going to end with this, my friends. This is where the Lord's leading us. Verse 25. Now his oldest son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked, "What are these things that is happening? Why is there music? Why is there dancing?" Verse 27, and he said to him, your brother has come. The servant said, there's a party. Your, your brother, remember your brother? He's your brother. You grew up. and Remember, he, he's back. Yeah, that, that brother. Yeah, he, he did some stuff, but he's back. He says, your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Now the other son, here's his response. Hear this. But the son was angry. The son came back. The father was joyful. There was joy. There was dancing. There was singing. There was celebration. But the other son was angry. Angry, and he refused to go in. But hear this, my friend. This is the word of the Lord. The other son, imagine the the party, and the, the son's just there. He's just angry. I can't believe that. But we're told the Bible says in the next verse it says, but the father came to him. That the father would also not just go after the, the far off, not just after the, the, the sinner, not just after the prodigal, but he would also go after the one who was angry and bitter because that's not right. What, what do you mean, Jesus. What do you mean, Dad? You would would welcome him back? The son goes on to say his father comes out to him and he's talking, he says, look. Doesn't even address him. It's it's this rude, it's not like, hey, Dad, or my Lord. It's just, look, I've been serving you all these years. I've been obedient. I've been in the field. I haven't spent one penny of yours. I've been with you all this time. I've loved you. I've served you. Why would you welcome him back? And the father says, look, son. Says, you're with me all the time. All I have is yours. But we had to celebrate. The word of God says we had to celebrate because this brother of yours was dead but is now alive. Friend, I got to tell you, I just feel like we got to hit this thing head on that some of us may be sitting there angry. And we may be sitting there, what do you mean? Look at what they did. Look at what they've walked through. Look at what they posted. Look at what that person said about them. And the father's just saying, no, 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 no. We got got to celebrate. Because they were once dead, but are now alive. You know what this tells me, my friend? Is that you can be in the father's house but not know the Father's heart. You can be in the Father's house, but not know the Father's heart. I don't know what exactly you've walked through, you've been through, you've carried in the Things that maybe you've been taught or experienced. But my friends, I just believe that God wants to, he wants to break some things tonight. He wants to set the record straight. That he is our heavenly father. That this is the gospel. This is the good news. That while we were still sinners, we were still prodigals, we were still those afar off, the Father in heaven would be standing there looking, searching, seeking. When he sees us, he runs toward us, embracing us. I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy. Get the calf, get the robe, get the ring. They've come home. <laughs> Willing to, to be ashamed publicly. So that his grace could welcome you in that Christ could welcome you and welcome you in. I want to just end with with this thought here. And a part of the reason that the father ran to the son wasn't just because he loved the son. Wasn't just because he wanted to embrace the son. In the Jewish culture, there was actually this ceremony that when someone would do something shameful to the family, this young son brought shame to the family. He brought shame, dishonor to his family line, to his father, that the the Jewish people, they would actually take this large pot, it was symbolic, and they would go to the person, they would drop this pot at their feet, and as it would shatter, it would symbolize and represent and speak to the person that you are cut off from us. Get away. You're exiled. You have nothing to do with us. We don't love you. We don't want you. Get out of here. So friend, I got to tell you that the father did not just run because he loved the son. The father wanted to get to the son first. That he wanted to get there first before the people came, before the exile, before the judgment came. That he wanted to step in with his grace. He wanted to step in with his embrace that the law sought to exile the son, but the father sought to bring him in with his grace. Yo, I don't know if y'all are catching this. This is huge. That people may want to come in, shame you, judge you, drop the pot at your feet, but the father says, no, 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 no. I want to embrace you. I want to cover you with my grace because I don't want you to be cut off from me. It's not just a physical now, it's an eternal thing, y'all. That God would be willing to step in to cover us. That we would be not cut off from Him for eternity. That there's a grace that the Father loves you. I gotta tell you, God, the Father loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. Thanks again for hanging out with us on the Tribes Podcast. Before you click off, before you move on, I would love to encourage you to take a moment and pray. God wants to speak to you, not just through this time, but continually throughout the day. So take a moment and ask God, what is he asking of you? Have a great week, my friends. God bless. We'll see you next week.